Colossians chapter 3. If you were here last week, you will recognize that we are in the same text as we were last week. Um, Kevin, when he sent me the outline for Colossians, I only made one change to it, and that was as I looked at this text from Colossians 3, 1 through 11, I just felt a stirring, this was months ago, that we should preach two sermons in that text. I completely forgot that I had made that change. And Monday, Monday I went to look at the next passage and I was like, oh, I'm preaching the same one again. And I was like, all right, Lord, I believe you're sovereign. So what, you know, what, what do you want to mine out? And my eyes immediately fell on verse five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Almost immediately, my eyes fell on my bookcase to a book that I have never read, but it's The Mortification of Sin by John Owen. And I have read it this week, and I want to say up front that much of this sermon is coming from his exposition of Romans chapter 8, verse 13. I will commend this book to you if you get to the end of this message and you realize I am fighting indwelling sin. This is an incredible book. I would get the abridged version. It's a little bit easier to read. I'm also working on a Cliff Notes version of it for myself, and I've got about six pages written, and if you want a copy of that, I will share it with you. But at the outset of this, before we go any further, I want to say this. For some of us, right now, already, the enemy is trying to distract you. I don't know what it is, I don't know if, if it is something that you've got going on, that you've got on your mind, your heart. Okay, I don't know if it is um, something that is you're anxious about or sad about or something that you're really happy about, but I, I, I guarantee that right now the enemy is trying to distract you. For some of us, this is going to be an encouragement and a reminder of what we're already doing. We are fighting indwelling sin. We are battling it. And so this is going to be an encouragement today to keep going. For some of us, this is life or death. Some of us in this room right now are deceived by sin. We don't know that. It's the whole point of deception. We don't know that that's happening. But God has ordained for us to be here. He has ordained for this text to be preached on this day. And the cry of Revelation chapter 3 is for us. Verse 2. I know your works, says Christ. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. At least one time in my ministry, I have shared that verse directly with someone who I believed was on the verge of walking away from Christ due to the deception of sin. And I urged them from that passage to wake up and strengthen what was in them. 
and they did not. And at least in this moment, they have nothing to do with Jesus anymore. Sin is deadly. And this verse to us is a command of great seriousness. Put to death what is earthly in you. Kill it. Take its strength. Take its vigor. Take its life. Because if you don't, it will take yours. The companion verse to Colossians 3 that we're going to look at today is Romans 8.13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So Father, my prayer this morning is that You will teach us what it means to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit of God. I ask, Father, that You would keep us from distraction. You would keep us from apathy. From being bored. From being unable to hear Your voice. And I pray that You would keep us from rebellion. God, I ask that You would give us a soberness that would lead to joy. I pray if there's anyone here today that is under condemnation because they are fighting sin and fighting sin and fighting sin and not making any headway, that today You would free them. Because as we heard this morning in the psalm, You set the captives free. And You would show them that they're trying to battle sin in their own strength. I pray for those, God, here who are believers or who they are are lost, but they have some connection to You. And today you are crying out to them to strengthen what is in them. Strengthen what faith they have before it dies. That they will listen to you and take those words seriously. I pray today you will bring repentance that leads to life. I ask that you would keep me from saying anything that is unhelpful. I pray that you would let me preach in Christ And Jesus, that You would teach and shepherd Your church through this Word and through me this morning. In Your name, Amen. If you're a note taker, you want to grab out the worship guide. I have put here kind of a little outline of what I want us to walk through this morning. This is not even intended to be in order or anything like that. Um, Although I do think some of these um, are the foundation, the building block of what we're talking about today today. Namely, the first one. And that is that we need to start by examining our heart. And know this, only true believers can put to death their flesh. This goes back to what we talked about last week. Everything that we're talking about in Colossians 3 is built on you being in Christ. And the transformation of the Gospel that comes when you are in Christ. So, verse 5 is contingent on verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. And then he gives us instructions, including put to death what is earthly in you. 
If you have not been raised with Christ, you cannot do what He calls you to in this passage. Same thing in Romans 8.13. You are called to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit of God that is in you. If the Spirit of God is is not in you, you cannot put to death the deeds of the body. And this is really important. Because you are watching this video or you are sitting in these seats this morning because of some pull and connection you have to God. And it is possible for you to live your life in such a way where you're trying to kill the deeds of the body, but you're not doing it by the Spirit, and therefore you're making no headway at all. And for some of us, we're believers and we just haven't learned how to battle by the Spirit, but for some of us, the issue and the reason we're not really making any headway in defeating sin is because we're actually not saved. We have some religion about us and we know that there are certain things that we should not do and we're trying to not do them so that we can be or appear to be good Christians, but the reality is we've never actually been saved. Would we be a better society if everyone took the Ten Commandments and obeyed them? Absolutely. If we were to just preach to people Do what this law says do. Don't lie, don't steal, don't murder, don't envy. Yes, we would have a better world to live in. But that doesn't mean anyone would be saved. Our call isn't to preach the killing of sin. Our call is to preach believing in Christ. And when we believe in Christ, what will happen is that we have the Spirit of God to put to death the deeds of the body. If you find yourself fighting sin over and over and over, and you just don't feel like you're making any headway, examine your heart. Are you in Christ? Start there. If you are sitting here this morning and you really have no desire to kill the deeds of the body, you think what I am saying is religious nonsense, I beg you, come to Christ. Look to Him to be saved. Look to Him to do the work in your heart that I can't do and that you can't do. Look to Jesus. Examine your heart. Only true believers can put to death their flesh. Now, once you, in faith, believe upon Christ and what we sang this morning, that He died and was buried, but that wasn't the end because He rose again to new life and He offers forgiveness to anyone who will ask. And you ask for forgiveness. And you look to Jesus to save you. Then, At that point, not only do you have the responsibility to put to death what is earthly in you, but you have the ability to do it. Because the Spirit of God is in you. So now, you can move to this important task of the Christian, which is identify the enmity in you. You can put there, identify the sin in you, identify the struggle in you, but I put enmity there because I want us to think about it that way. And I'll explain what I mean in just a moment.
In your notes, the deeds of the body, as Romans 8.13 talks about it, is not simply the sinful acts you do, but it's talking about the corrupted flesh. The deeds of the body is the corrupted flesh that all of us deal with because of the fall of Adam. Because of the sin of our first father and first mother who rebelled against God and all of creation has struggled since then with a corrupted flesh. A flesh that desires to be its own God. Not submit to authority including God's law. And seeks to various degrees to find satisfaction apart from God. That is the corrupted flesh that all of us in this room have. Now, the outward deeds are external expressions of that indwelling sin. The outward deeds, the outward sin, is an external expression of the indwelling sin, the corruption that all of us deal with, which is why all of us struggle with different sins. All of us struggle with different sinful actions. It's not the same across the room. But the root issue is the same for all of us. The corrupted flesh. And the reason I use the enmity, that word, identify the enmity in you, is because that corrupted flesh, that indwelling sin, is opposed to God, and it is opposed to any godliness in you. That indwelling sin is opposed to God and what He stands for, His truth and His ways and His character. And therefore, any time you desire to step toward God in faith and be like Him, that indwelling sin will rise up to fight you. If you have a Bible, go to Galatians chapter 5 for a moment. One book back from... uh, Two books back from Colossians. Galatians 5. Look at verse... We'll start with 16. I say to you, walk by or live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Here's how Paul puts it to the church in Galatia. There is a war in you. That war is in you because you're a believer. If there is no war in you, we go back to the first step. It may be because you truly are not saved. But when you are saved, the Spirit of God comes into your life and the Spirit of God begins to oppose in you all this of the flesh. That indwelling sin in you, the Spirit of God is battling it and opposing it. And your flesh rises up to battle the Spirit. To get you to do the things that the Spirit, to get you to not do the things the Spirit is leading you to do, and get you to do the things the Spirit opposes. And so Paul says, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. When you're a believer and you want to follow God, you want to obey Him, you want to have His character, the flesh rises up to say no. When your flesh wants you to follow after it, the Spirit of God rises up to say no. The beauty of this is what Scripture is teaching us and going to teach us is that if you will yield to the Spirit, the 
Victory is sure. This is not a battle that's in question. Who will win, the flesh or the Spirit? The Spirit will win. So walk by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Yield to the Spirit. If you're a believer, you know what it's like to have the Spirit of God leading you and talking to you. And pointing you toward what you need to do. Yield to the Spirit. That is battle against your flesh. So identify the enmity in you. The indwelling sin that is in all of us is producing the various deeds that are external to us. And sometimes as believers, we, we categorize sin. And we have a tendency to want to downplay our own and exaggerate others. But the ground is level at the foot of the cross because we're all dealing with the same root issue, indwelling sin. If we focus too much on the deeds, we will find ourselves in a place where we think we're superior to other people. We're all battling the same thing. How do you identify the particular indwelling sin that you have, the particular deeds that you do? They may be very visible to you. If right now you are trapped in sexual immorality of some kind, you know that. If right now you are struggling with oppressive hate towards someone or a group of people, you probably recognize that. But some indwelling sins, some deeds are not as visible. Apathy toward God. Not loving Him with our whole heart. Affection for His people and His church. Envy. There are certain sins and deeds of the body, unbelief, that are not as visible. Trusting in ourselves and not God. Things that are not as visible to us as other deeds, other sins. So how do we identify the enmity in us? And I say, at least in part, in your notes, to this end, God uses the mirror of the Word, the leading of the Spirit, and the exhortation of community to help identify the enmity that is in us. The mirror of the Word, what I mean by that is when you read the Word, you will see yourself in it. I'm not commending to you to read Scripture to find your sin. You read Scripture to abide with Jesus. But as you do that, you will see yourself in this Word. You will see the character that is godly. You will see the character that is not. And God will show that to you and convict you of that. Some of us don't know the enmity that is in us because we don't open this very often. The leading of the Spirit. The Spirit will speak to you. He will convict. He will lead. He will point things out to you. And when He does, we should listen to what He is saying. Yield to His voice. Yield to His leading. And the exhortation of the community. It's probably the one that we like the least. But that word exhortation, remember, we talk about it a lot. It means encouragement. Sometimes it means admonishment and rebuke and correction. 
God has placed you in a community. He's put you in a church. And He's put you in that church in part that we would help one another. That we would help one another at times to see our own indwelling sin. Sometimes, as we're dealing with one another, we will see that indwelling sin. Sometimes you'll have a brother or sister who will come to you and say, can we talk? Can we have a conversation? Not because they want to hammer you and judge you, but because they're worried. When we keep ourselves from the Word, when we don't listen to the Spirit, to the Spirit, and when we isolate ourselves from community, we are keeping ourselves from means by which God brings conviction. Church, this is why the enemy of your soul will fight with all that he has to keep you from being in the Word, being in prayer, listening to the Spirit of God, and being a part of a church. Because if he can isolate you from those things, he can keep you under his deception of sin. Some believers can't identify what they're struggling with because they don't readily see it and they're not using these means and some believers won't identify it. Even when someone comes to them, even when they read in the Word and they see themselves in the Word, even when the Spirit speaks, they have a justification for what they're doing. We sometimes justify our sin. We sometimes defend ourselves in our sin. Church, I examine your heart, and if you're a believer, identify the sin that is in you. Use the means that God has given you to do so. Identify it because it is an enemy of God and it is an enemy of you, which leads us to the next part of our outline. Be serious-minded about this. Young people in this room, those of you that are in your mid-twenties or under, teenagers, from the time that I was 13 years old to I was 23 years old, I was enslaved to sin. I'm going to be honest with you to the point that I, I, when I look at my life, I, I, I don't know if the profession of faith that I made when I was eight was when I was converted or later when I repented and was freed from my sin in my mid-twenties. I'm not exactly sure, although I know God has been working in my life that entire time. But I was enslaved to sin. And some of you in this room, you are too. You're on the verge of it. You're playing around with things. You're not taking it seriously. And this is God's call to you. And it's not just for the younger people. People. Those of us who are older in this room, we set the example for them. We set the example for our kids. We set the example for the teenagers and the, those in their 20s. We should be discipling them. This is not a call to let them see your perfection. This is a call to let them see your struggle and your battle against sin. Not to glorify the sin, but to glorify God who wages that battle on your behalf. Show them the way 
of how you deal with sin. Sometimes as parents, we want to put that that face on. We don't want our kids to see our struggles. We don't want them to know what we're dealing with. How are they going to know how to battle their own sin if they don't see us battle ours? Be serious-minded in your notes. Sin is always working. Let's start there for a moment. James chapter 1, verse 14. This sin, this indwelling sin, this corrupted flesh is always working. Look at verse 14 in James 1. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You are in these verses. I am in these verses. Every day, constantly, each person is lured and enticed by that corrupted flesh. There's not a day that goes by that that isn't happening in your life. It is luring you with a bait on the hook. It is enticing you. How do you entice someone? You give them something that looks pleasing to them. The indwelling sin, the corrupted flesh, is doing that in your life every day. Luring you and enticing you. Why? So that those corrupted desires in you would conceive and give birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings about death and destruction. This is important. It took me a long time to understand this. Please hear me. Temptation is not a sin. It is not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. It is not a sin to be lured and enticed. That corrupted flesh wants to lure and entice you so that you will sin. Every time that thought comes in your mind, to act upon, you have a choice to make. Are you going to push that away? Put it to death? Or are you going to embrace it and run with it? Sin is always working to get you to embrace it and get you to run with it. And why is it doing that? In your notes, seeking to weaken your body. If you're reading along in our If you were reading along during our 21 days of prayer, we were looking at Psalms every day. Psalm 3110, it wasn't one of the ones that we looked at, but Psalm 32 was. But in Psalm 3110, David says this, My life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Look at Psalm 32, just one over. Verse 3, When I kept silent, he's talking about not confessing his sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. All right. Very carefully. Not every sickness and physical, mental, or emotional problem that you deal with Not every one of those things are related to your sin. But some are. Some are. Even in James, 
It is told to come before the elders of the church to be prayed for regarding the need to heal, to be healed from the illness. And in that it says, and if they have sinned, as if if sin is the reason for that illness, then they will be forgiven. Listen, I don't know. Some of you embrace that. Some of you are going to reject that right away. You may reject it because you've been in a church somewhere that taught that every physical issue or mental issue or emotional issue you deal with is related to sin. And that is simply not true. By the Bible, but also by the Bible, some of our physical, mental, and emotional issues are from our sin. We are groaning We are wasting away, we are fatigued, we are depressed because we will not listen to God's call to repent, to turn from our sins. So God, excuse me, sin is always working, seeking to weaken your body and ultimately destroy your soul. So back in the New Testament in Hebrews, doesn't this active sin and desire and corrupted flesh doesn't just want to weaken your body, it wants to destroy your soul. Hebrews 3.13 Actually, I'll go to verse 12. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He's talking to people in a church. And he's saying, be careful. Some people in the church, some people that claim Christ, there's actually in them an evil, unbelieving heart, and it's going to lead them away from the living God. Verse 13, But exhort one another. Every day, we're back to community. As long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin wants to deceive you and then harden you. You're not always going to recognize it. It's why you need the exhortation of the community. You're not always going to see it for what it is. You're going to justify it. You're going to think it's something just normal in your life. But it is sin deceiving you. Why? Because ultimately it wants to harden you. It doesn't, it's not going to start there. It's going to try and take you there. Every time. God speaks to us. Every time the Spirit of God calls us to repent, every time someone with the Spirit of God in them admonishes us or warns us or encourages us, every time the Word is preached and we hear it and we turn from it, we harden our hearts just a little. Every time God speaks and we don't listen, we harden our hearts And there are some that get to a point that God's voice means nothing to them anymore. That is where sin wants to take you. It is active in you. John Owen, in this book, The Mortification of Sin, he says, there is not a day but that either sin foils you or it is foiled by you and the Spirit of God in you. Every day. You must always be killing sin or it will be killing you. This is not for a season of your life, church. This is every single day. Every day we must be active in this work of killing the indwelling sin. And how do we do that? 
in your notes. Put to death what only the Spirit can kill. I want you to say, what? That's the command. You put to death what only the Spirit can kill. If you struggle with the dynamic that God calls you to responsibility to walk with what only He can do, you will struggle with a lot of the Bible. We, we tend for it, we want it to be one of the two. That we're responsible or God's responsible. The truth is, ultimately, this is God's work. Only the Spirit can do it. Do this in us. But we are responsible to walk by the Spirit. I'll show you a couple places in the Bible real quick that you see this dynamic. Isaiah 26.12. Just a simple verse, but so profound. O Lord, You will ordain peace for us, for You have indeed done for us all our works. Church, that's the Christian life is to look at your life and say, God, You have done for me all my work. Do you work? Yes. Do you labor? Yes. Do you seek to build the house? Yes. Who is it that is ultimately doing it? God. That is hard for us to grasp except in faith. Look in 2 Thessalonians back in the New Testament. This is a prayer. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. Paul prays, to this end we pray for you. Here's here's his prayer for the church in Thessalonica. That our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power. Who has the resolve for good? You in the church. Who is working for good? You in the church. What is Paul's prayer? That God will fulfill all of those things. And if you go over to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, we get the beautiful text, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So the command there is work out your salvation. Do this work of killing sin. Why? Because it is God that is working in you to give you the desire to kill sin and the ability to do it. We put to death what only the Spirit can kill. So how do we do that? One, use the means of God to grow up. In your notes, use the means, the means that God has given you, to grow up. What does that mean? Grow up in the faith? Yes. Grow up spiritually? Yes. In Hebrews chapter 5, that's really the sense. Verse 11, the writer of Hebrews says, he's been talking about a, a lot of pretty heavy things, and then he says, about all this I've got a lot to say, but it's hard to explain because you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk 
is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This, in divine summary, is church grow up. Grow up in the faith. Some of us have been walking with the Lord. Some of us have called ourselves Christians long enough. We should be teaching others. But we're not teaching others. Because we keep having to relearn the same lessons over and over and over and over again. Why? Because we're not using the means of grace to grow. So we should. The things that God has given, His Word to be read. We, listen, we live in this amazing time where you can, you can have podcasts going all day teaching you the Word. You can, you can watch YouTube videos of people teaching you the Word. You can listen to the Word be read to you over an app on your phone. You can sit and read the Scriptures. I think, I think it was John Piper who said that, I don't remember which social media app he was picking on, if it was Instagram or Snapchat or something, but he said at the end, in judgment, these apps will prove, they will serve to prove that our issue wasn't that we did not have time for God and His Word. Make the time, use the means. Fasting and prayer. But, but listen, don't glorify the means. John Owen in his book, he points out, he said, what happens is some people treat the means like the fountain rather than streams that bring waters from the fountain to your soul. In other words, you don't read the Bible because the Bible is what is renewing you, but it is the God of the Bible, the Word that became flesh that is renewing you, and you're reading this living Word that's all about Him. You're not praying because prayer is the fountain. You're praying because prayer is the means by which you connect with the fountain, and you are refreshed. And that brings us to the main point, which is you, you use these means to grow up, but you're not looking to the means, you're looking to God and you're looking to His Spirit because only the Spirit can kill this sin that is in you. So by faith, abound in the fruit of the Spirit. Use the means that God has given you, but to put to death the body, you look to the Spirit of God through those means. You look to Christ through those means. Galatians chapter 5. And if I was going to teach this again next week, we would just stay in this passage. But just go to Galatians 5 for a moment and, and look in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Okay, so indwelling sin. The writer of Galatians, uh, Paul saying, you know what it is. You know the indwelling sin. You can see it by the deeds. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. 
I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's the works of the flesh. But then look at what he says next. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Here's what I think we sometimes do when we want to put to death the sin of the body. We try to kill the sin by some means, thinking that the means will kill the sin. So if my issue is sexual immorality related to my phone, then what I need to do is I need to put a bunch of filters and accountability and things on my phone. Which, by the way, I am not at all preaching against because that may be a means. But that is not going to kill the sin. What you put on your phone is not going to pull out the root problem. Only the Spirit of God can do that. So we can't just focus on the deed and how we get rid of it because if we successfully get rid of that deed, sin will come along and just replace it with another deed. Indwelling sin is rooted out by the fruit of the Spirit. So yes, use the means to destroy and, and work on rooting out the problem, but don't trust the means. Look to the Spirit of God. The more self-control that is in you, the more love that is in you for God and people, the more patience that is in you, the more the Spirit of God is displacing the corrupted flesh. You kill the desires by the Spirit by promoting and cultivating in your life the fruit of the Spirit. Look to the work of the Spirit. Work, labor, pursue, pray for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And as that fruit is coming out of your life, sin is being displaced. Put to death what only the Spirit can kill. And don't forget Galatians 2.20 that I think summarizes this so well. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Faith. Faith is your weapon. Faith is how you battle. Faith in Jesus. Faith in the Spirit. Faith in the fruit the Spirit is producing in you. Don't put your faith in the means. Use the means to work out your faith and pursue Christ. And that will bring us to be able to live soberly and joyfully. This is what we're called to in this battle against sin. To put to death what is earthly in us, we must live soberly and joyfully. What do I mean by living soberly? In your notes, here's the sober reality. Sin will not be entirely put away in this life. 
indwelling sin and the corrupted flesh will not be put away entirely in this life. There will be a day where you will know what it's like to live without any pull, any temptation, any enticing desire. You will feel one day freedom that you have never felt before. And it will be the day you look Jesus in the face. Until then, you will battle sin. So, when condemnation rises up to tell you, if you were a believer, you wouldn't struggle. If you were a believer, you wouldn't have these temptations. Remember that the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Your identity means you've already been perfected in the sight of the Father. You are fighting this good fight of faith because you are in Christ. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. If you are truly a believer and you have condemning fear over your sin, the key is you need to be perfected in God's love. You need to look to Him and receive His love for you because there's no condemnation and you will fight this battle to the end of your day. But at the same time, at the same time, you must keep fighting. That, is, that doesn't loosen you from your responsibility to fight. In your notes, the work of Christ means you are not enslaved to that sin. The work of Christ means it is not your master. So don't assume that it is. Fight it. It does not master you. It should not master you. Romans 6.6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with Him. That old self is the body of flesh, the corrupted flesh, corrupted desires. We know the old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I was enslaved. I was mastered by a sin for over a decade. God set me free from that. I have indwelling sin I battle every day. But I have freedom in Christ that I've been set free from what mastered me for so many years. And if you are enslaved to sin right now, Christ has already secured your freedom. Don't resign yourself that it's your master. It's not. Go back to that Romans 8.13 verse. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And that certainly means eternal life because of the fact that the Spirit of God is in you bearing His fruit and killing and displacing sin, taking away its strength, taking away its vigor, that's ultimately what it means to kill the sin. Not that the enticements are completely gone, but they've lost their strength, they've lost their power, they've lost their vigor, they've lost their life in your life. The fact that that is happening to you means you have eternal life. 
But in this life, your joy is at stake. To be enslaved to sin is to be enslaved to all of the deadly depression and groanings that sin brings, the destruction that it brings, the sorrow that it brings when it destroys and harms your family. Christian marriages are wrecked and divided and destroyed by sin. Christians are wrecked and divided by sin. To put to death the deeds of the body by the power of the Spirit is to live. God is not calling you to do these things because He's a great joy killer. He is calling you to do these things because He wants you to experience true joy. Sin can only bring temporary happiness that will ultimately lead to death. Freedom in Christ leads to joy. Let me end with this excerpt from The Mortification of Sin by John Owen. I might here bewail the endless and foolish labor of poor souls who are convinced of their sin and yet not able to stand against its power. They try many perplexing ways and duties to keep down sin, but being strangers to the Spirit of God, they find it all in vain. They combat without victory. They have war without peace. They are in slavery all their days. They spend their strength for that which is not bread, and they labor for that which does not profit. This is the saddest warfare that any poor creature can be engaged in. A soul under the power of conviction from the law is pressed to fight against sin, but he has no strength for the battle. He must fight, but he can never conquer. He is like a man who thrust himself on the sword of the enemy on purpose to be slain. The law drives him on, and sin beats him back. Sometimes he thinks he's foiled sin, but he's only raised a dust so that he cannot see the sin. He stirs up his natural affections of fear and sorrow and anguish, and this makes him believe that sin is conquered when it's not even touched. He must soon be at the battle again, and the lust which he thought to be slain is seen to not even be wounded. Church, if that is you, because that was me for years, I would promise God I'll never do this again. Because I thought if I promised God something that I would sure not do it again. And it would help me for about six weeks. I tried everything that I could. Everything that I could. When I would have those moments of fear that I was going to hell and sorrow that I was apart from Christ. And I would try to get myself right only to find myself constantly falling back to where I was over and over again. And it wasn't until I learned that I had no way, nothing in me to defeat that sin. Only God could do it. And it took confession. And it took transparency, which I did not want to give. But when I started bringing that to the light, and I started confessing and asking for help, and I started admitting to God that I could not do it, that is when He began to set me free. 
Some of you are laboring, trying to defeat sin, and you are weary, and you are condemned, and it is because your battle is in your flesh and not by the Spirit of God. And He is calling you in His Word to not run from Him with your sin, but run to Him with your sin.